0: Episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Macy, and in this series we explore the winning mindsets, attitudes, and strategies of kick-ass photographers in the Instagram community. People are doing people that are doing really inspiring um, and amazing stuff that stands out from among the rest. Uh, we're flying here, we're on episode 16. Uh, my original goal was to do one a week for a year, so 52 episodes. We're well on our way to that. Um, thank you for everybody who just keeps listening in and, and writing me and telling me what they like about the show and how it's changed their outlook on photography in a positive way. Uh, super grateful for all of you. So, uh, but let's get into today's episode. I'm joined by our third Canadian guest on the show. I always got to shout out my Canadians because we stick together. Um, Jenny Wong, who goes by the Instagram handle JWcaptures. Um Jenny, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I know that you listen to all the episodes and you're... Uh, You're an avid uh, fan or listener, whatever you want to call it, Uh, but I'm a fan of your work. It's really, really incredible. Um, You go on some crazy adventures. Why don't you do what we always do on the show and uh, tell us a bit about yourself and give us some background.
1: Uh, I think I've always loved traveling. I was one of those, woohoo, I got paid, let's go travel, and it kind of just took off from there, like. I did like, you know, your everyday Peru trip to see Machu Picchu. I did the. Yeah. You know, just your
0: regular Machu Picchu trip. That was my first
1: backpacking trip. Um, I backpack a lot. And then eventually it got to the point where, you know, I wanted to do the trips that I could afford. Um, Now, having worked a little bit, being out of school and, I picked Africa, I picked, um, Antarctica and for what, like that, that triggered wildlife for me. Right. Um, it's just wildlife has always been crazy expensive and I tried shooting in the Amazon. It's really, really tough. Um, What's the expensive
0: part about it? Guides?
1: Guides, locations. I mean, you could do a lot of wildlife in Canada and, in um, the U.S., you can shoot bison and bears. That's not going to cost you a whole lot, but if you do really want to see, you know, the, the animals that you dream of from Lion King, Africa is really, really expensive. Okay. The flight in was about, I think, between two to $3,000. Wow. Um, but I backpacked Africa for a month in East Africa. It was really an afterthought at that time. I wanted to climb Kilimanjaro, so... We went to climb Kilimanjaro, and I tagged on a whole bunch of wildlife safaris and diving. Chartered a flight out to go diving, and then went to see gorillas, track gorillas in the jungle. Awesome.
0: So, I like how yeah. you're pretty. How you just described all that. You're like, I wanted to do this, so I went and did it. You know, like, <laughs> I just wanted to do it, so. I climb Kilimanjaro. <laughs> it's very, it's a very simplified way of thinking. And I think that's cool.
1: I planned a year. So like, I mean, for everything that I did, I did probably a week and a half, at least of safaris in Tanzania and Kenya. And then I climbed a, the wrong guy route, which is like a very different route that most people would ever go on for Kilimanjaro. So I go up the South, uh, Sort of the north face and then come down the south face of the mountain.
0: So I know nothing about this, but maybe somebody listening will.
1: Yeah, and then, um, yeah, and then charter flights to to go diving and all that. I mean, I did it for a budget, but really, it's not exactly one of those budgets that you would say, I just got a university or college and be like, that's a budget trip. It was still ten to twelve thousand dollars, right? Wow. So, but it is a month in Africa and I did everything.
0: I've heard that to do Africa right, you have to spend at least $10,000. Would you say that's true?
1: No. So like, it really depends on how much time you want to spend. I booked everything local. I had friends in Africa. So I was staying with friends in Kenya and Mm. Tanzania. Um, It's just not easy to book certain things. And a lot of the things that I had planned, I... I actually just, my friends are like, we'll hook you up with someone else. We'll hook you up with someone else. So um, in terms of safaris and stuff, we had amazing deals. Um, cool. But like we planned a month, uh, a year, and I trained a year to climb. Kilimanjaro. Wow. I just, I wasn't going to go there and not make it to the top. Everyone's like, you're going to kill yourself trying to get to the top. I'm like, not going to be that bad. <laughs>
0: A year's worth of training, so much preparation. I like that.
1: Yeah. So I think when so, you're doing trips like that, your special trips, you're going to plan. You have to. Yeah, you have to. I plan a year so, out for Arctic.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Um, we've talked before and you've mentioned that you consider yourself, you're not, you don't consider yourself a photographer first. Um, you're a conservationist and adventurist, a explorer um and it seems like photography has kind is sort of a byproduct of those passions maybe you can speak more to that and um you know how people can maybe find comfort in knowing you don't need to consider yourself quote a photographer to be kick-ass at all
1: no I think um the key to photography is shooting what you love as Brooke would say right but um Mm -hmm. when When you are so focused, I think, on just your gear and the skills and the technique, you sometimes lose sight of that. So you kind of have to find yourself. You have to find, is it landscape that you love or what aspect of the landscape or the adventure is it that you want to capture? When you're captivated by a moment or you're captivated by an adventure or an animal or cause or have a voice, I think that's when your photography is really going to. Connect with people because you connected with it. It's not just snapping something for the sake of snapping something.
0: When you right. look at it, yep. it reminds
1: you of something. It evokes emotion. So.
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean, it needs to invoke emotion in you first before it evokes yeah. it in anybody else. Yeah, and Brooke was saying that on her episode. Um, for she used the example of when you shoot your partner or somebody you're with or somebody you love, like you, tr- you subconsciously or consciously try to make it the best you can because you're so passionate about that subject. The same goes for a bear. The same goes for a mountain. Um, the same goes for like a leaf you're holding in front of yourself. If you're doing bokeh, um, if you don't really love it, it's going to show in the final result.
1: Yeah, definitely. You need, you need to feel for, you need to remember like it, When you look at videos and when you look at um, pictures that does something for you, there's a nostalgic aspect to, and I think that's why Moody does so well, right? Is because there's a nostalgic Mm -hmm. feel. There's something that when you look into it, you can relate to it. It's never actually that massive grand scene. It's sometimes that little foreground element that just, reminds you of what it was like when you were sitting on that rock and touching it and mm-hmm. feeling those flowers right by your feet um the grand scene that is in the background that you're that is your focal point I think people see that but the feeling comes from those little elements um and it's just like you say like that leaf you're holding in your hand putting photographing it in a way that allows you to remember it, allows you to remember the moment of standing what was surrounding you at that time.
0: Right. And I feel like to to continue using the leaf example, um you're putting a lot of your energy and soul into it when you're really focusing on it with your with your eyes and with your camera. Um and it comes across, you know? And it's the same as same thing that music does, that one line in a song that puts you to a place or a time that's why you end up that song ends up being so memorable to you
1: yeah um i think the easiest way for me to for me to for me to learn this aspect of trying to put that emotion into your photos was actually seeing videos like when you watch a movie or when you watch um a really cool clip like we said, sound cold or whatever. Um, it's not that big scene. The big scene was a climax, but it's the B-rolls, the little B-rolls in between where they're zipping up their jacket or the crunching of the, the snow. It's those elements that give you all the emotions and the memories. And I think with one frame in photography, it's really difficult to, to put those emotions in. So when you have elements like moody skies or um, amazing wildflowers or elements in your foreground, that's where you draw the the audience in with what it feels like to stand there in that moment or, you know, be, be hiding in a bush, looking at an animal, right. Um, Instead of just shooting the animal just
0: up front. Right. So for you, um that that thing is that lights your fire would be wildlife and landscape, correct? And and why is that? What is it about that?
1: I just don't spend very much time in the city. So um that is my life. Like when when I'm away, when I can get away, my choice is always being out in the wild adventuring, either hiking or looking for wildlife. So you're seeing that you're seeing what I love, what I love to do with my spare time.
0: So, Right. I mean, you have been to some crazy places and you've shot some both insane landscapes and, and wildlife, but I want to talk a bit about the wildlife. I've, you have polar bears all over your page, grizzlies. And that's just like so crazy for me to think of. Cause I've maybe seen a bear once or twice in my life, let alone photographed one. Um, I want to maybe branch away from like all the sentimental and psychological, um, jargon. And maybe I just want to hear about your gnarliest wildlife experience that you've had. Um, maybe it'll be entertaining for some people to hear.
1: Um, the gnarliest is probably my last big trip, which was to the Arctic last year. Um, we went to Baffin islands. I landed in Clyde river and we snowmobiled on the sea ice for two weeks um it took us two and a half days to get to my final camp. So it's just it it wasn't even just the animal experience. It was the full experience of can I actually do it? Can I actually complete am I going to tap out? Am I going to you know, am I going to hurt myself? Am I going to kill myself? Are we even going to make it to final camp because our snowmobile broke down and we had to fix it. <laughs> um jumping over leads and camping on the sea ice for two weeks. Like it's something that you just have no idea if you're ready to do until you do it. So <laughs> everyone's like like my my guide's like, I don't know if you're tough enough. And I'm like, Yeah, for sure, I'm I'm tough enough. I had no idea, like really, I just was that yes girl, I just wanted to do it and I did it. Um you surprise yourself when you put yourself in those situations, but um, then when you're there, uh, nothing prepares you for seeing a polar bear up close, like 30 feet, 20 feet away and having it look at you and walk right by you. You're just like, it's, it's going to eat me. Um, Or even seeing narwhals. Like we just stood there and you you're still, and you just see these pods of narwhals coming and belugas. And you're like, you know, it's nuts. It was a an, a crazy experience.
0: So to so more about that, that, uh, the, the, I guess, mental aspect of that trip, you know, your guide saying, I don't think you're tough enough and you signing up for it just to, you know, see if you could get through it. Um, you know, we're on the photographer mindset podcast. It's good to die. I want to dive into that way of thinking. All right are you trying to prove something to yourself like that you can accomplish things that are difficult? Um, Cause there's lots of adventurous trips you could do, you know, where you're not pushing yourself to that limits. Is there something about your character that you need to push yourself and beyond that limit?
1: Um, physically I do. I do like the challenge. Um, I think for this trip, I had confidence that physically I could do it. Um, I've done some pretty physically demanding trips. For me, the biggest scare would be actually executing the gig, like being able to shoot the content. I've never seen the sea ice. I've never shot on the sea ice. Um, It proves to be the most challenging to shoot. Like Out of all the scenery I've ever shot, um, all the locations, it is crazy tough. Um, If you talk to Dave, we were talking about it. Sea ice and ocean can truncate anything. So no matter how impressive these mountain ranges are, they're beautiful. They're huge. But sea ice, one kilometer of sea ice looks the same as 20 kilometers of sea ice. And when you're shooting it from sea ice level, like we're on snowmobiles on sea ice, there's no climbing up on a peak. Even climbing on an iceberg isn't going to do you much compared to these mountains in the distance. popping up the drone was the best <laughs> to get these shots of like the vast scenery. So um that was my that was probably my biggest scare. And for a few days it was being in the back of a cometek and you're bumping and bumping and bumping and trying to shoot the frame rates properly so that it's not blurry and shaky. Um and you're not smashing your camera on the side of the box or falling out of the box. <laughs> um It was challenging, but you make do and you adjust and, um, yeah, you just got to figure it out.
0: (laughs) So what kind of feeling, how would you describe the feeling when the trip's over and you've nailed it? You feel like you accomplished it and, um, you can say I did it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Like, what's the feeling? So it's awesome. Like when you. Like, I was the only photographer. There was just me and my Inuit guide and my um, southern guide. So two snowmobiles, me in the back. And it's a team effort. Like, I might be the only shooter, but, like, I show them the pictures. I'm like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And let's try and do this. Um, Can we get closer to the bear? Is it safe? Stuff like that. And at the end of the day, it's just, you know – getting the confirmation from your team. Um, And I think that's why we were going to talk about like, you know, that team effort, working with other photographers. um, It's important because you get the confirmation, but then at the, on the other hand, if there's something you can do better, they'll be like, how about let's try this. Let me try to get you closer to those mountains, closer to the bear. Um, Let's position you this way. So the light is better. Um, they, have, they know these animals better than I do. They know the scenery better than I do. Just like if I was with another photographer, they have other insight, right? So um, it's a great feeling. Like at the end of the day, I was shooting for them. So for them to just be like, I think we killed it. That was awesome. Let's do it again that's a that's an awesome feeling and i did get invited um i was invited back to go with them but i had already committed another contract with a different arctic outfitter so the following year mm.
0: this year was supposed to that's, uh, that's cool um, wanting to shoot and do the best for your team and, and for other people um it's pretty selfless um but yeah let's get into talking about um uh, you know that team aspect teamwork and um building a squad we were we were talking about this off the record before we hit record um you have for people who don't know Jay dubs jenny wong here um she's part of a pretty cool entourage and crew um with the who's in your crew it's brooke little bear dave sanford drew hamilton to name a few some awesome photographers yeah really cool. yeah bizarre
1: yeah. Um, amazing wow.
0: amazing shooters um first of all, let people know how that came to be. I know you mentioned you were the last to the last to the table on that one. Either way, it's cool. Better late than never. Um, maybe what kind of things you talk about and how having that support team has elevated your photography game to another level. Um, and if you would encourage people to squad up like you have with, with people in their, in their realm.
1: Um, definitely. I mean, Even prior to this, I would say that we all have little groups of friends that we go and do trips and shoot with and make content. But this one is pretty special because it's um, concentrated around conservation. Uh, There's a huge focus right now for us on the pebble mine issues in Alaska with pretty much a Canadian mine that wants to build in a pretty sensitive area that would affect like salmon fishing, bear tourism, everything, um, nasty, nasty operation. And there's a lot that we can do use as a platform between the nine of us where we can spread awareness. And I think when it comes to photography, like I'm a scientist and a photographer, I guess. Big science is like kind of like the brains it tells you this is right, this is wrong, um, this is good, this is no good, but photography is what in the arts it 's what moves people for change it 's what moves people to donate to want to use less plastic to want to change our planet um, so I think our group is focused on that is to try and promote more photography, more arts more um, getting people out there to fall in love with with nature. Because when you fall in love with something, you want to save it. And uh, as of right now, what we're encouraging people to do is go online, check out Drew Hamilton for sure. He has a lot of information on that. There's a lot of webinars right now going on about it. If you're in the U.S., please send um, letters to your senators. Uh, There's a few senators in Alaska that I think – We're all sending emails out to, unfortunately, as a Canadian, we can't really do much, even though it is a Canadian operation. Um, but yeah, it, as a group, I think we can concentrate on certain campaigns and promote them, amplify the voices of conservation pretty much.
0: Yeah. I, I had that written down about the pebble mine. I wanted you to mention, um, mention what was going on there. Um, the destructive properties that could potentially happen and how it could just destroy the ecosystem there and um, just bring awareness to it. Cause you know, we have a pretty big platform, both you and I and your group and this podcast is, is growing quite rapidly. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, that cause got out there and you could let people know how to help. And I, I think you did all of that. Um, but just to reiterate, if you're, if you're an American listening um, email and contact your Senator um, and research what's going on in Alaska with the pebble mine, cause it's, it's pretty embarrassing quite frankly um especially as a canadian company um i'm a little bit mildly ashamed yeah. um, and it, it's it's quite ironic that you know you and i as canadians there's nothing we can really do um so i feel my part here is to is to help um you know talk about it right now like we are um so check it out everyone please um save the brown bears because it's it's no no good what's going to happen um how did your group form um, the one that you're a part of now that that's doing all this great work
1: from what I've heard, cause I'm the last one in uh, it started with brown bears. So the majority of the group has actually been up there to Alaska to photograph these beautiful um, brown bears, these grizzlies and it's an amazing environment where you can just sit there on the banks of rivers and see these brown bears fish Live, um, they don't really care about you being there. There's no roads really. Um, these guys are flying in on like float planes and hiking miles per day just to see these bears. It's an incredible place, and to see twenty bears all on one river kind <laughs> of thing. Yeah, it's it's incredible if you've ever seen any of their footage. Um, so when this all happened, Drew started campaigning, um, spreading awareness. And then the whole group started doing this thing. And then, so they're like, well, what if we were able to do this, not just for one cause, but for many causes going forward. Um, As of right now, this is our cause. Um, But then there's other causes like polar bears for quite a few of us are dear to our heart as well. So sea ice conditions and everything. So it's important to amplify um, conservation to highlight the organizations that need our help um and to provide our skills and services as well and hopefully the more people we can get photographing as well and falling in love with it the more awareness it's going to spread right like through social media or just amazing images just always are conversation starters they're great conversation starters
0: and it's like what you said about um You know, it's the arts and visuals and photography and songs that really get messages through to people. I could put, and science is obviously important, but it doesn't have the same impact. If I put a graph in front of somebody, the average person, or, you know, a paragraph uh, highlighting detrimental ecological issues, and then I put, or let's say I put a, a statistic in front of people about plastic in the ocean, and then you put an actual picture of a pile of floating garbage. One is going to have a much larger impact. And I think it's really cool um, what you guys are doing and using your talents to, to do just that.
1: Yeah. So a lot of our um, focus is also on education, like photography education and hopefully helping people get out there too.
0: So how, What is it like to have a group of such high caliber and talented people um, to bounce ideas off of, to get critique from? How has that elevated your photography game? Um, And maybe you could talk about how people can go about, you know, establishing their own crew on whatever level, on whatever scale.
1: So with this wildlife crew, um, I would consider myself the most junior, honestly, in photography. These guys are amazing um in what they do in the specialties that they they shoot so for me i'm like super blessed i feel like i'm going to learn so much and i have learned so much about conservation in different fields as well as um styles of photography um ethical conduct for how you edit for certain Platforms like Nat Geo versus artistic versus something that you're gonna put on up on a wall, right? Totally different editorial versus um more fine arts artistic prints. But then I've also done stuff with um landscape and adventure. Um, What I would recommend for everybody is there's plenty of meetup groups, and you guys have started these leagues that are amazing, all concentrated in different areas highly recommend joining any of those, regardless of what skill level you are. I think many photographers should keep an open mind to helping one another and there is no you know I could teach you how to use a camera, but your artistic vision from a junior to a very senior photographer there's validity in in everything like i mean there's freshness about the new guy coming in you know he might not be season 20-year wildlife or landscape shooter, but he has a different perspective, uh, a different look, a different – and the senior guy can learn just as much from that guy, just hanging out, you know, inspirations of just let's go walk over there. Why not, you know, versus if you're by yourself, a lot of the time you, you get stuck in your ways, I think, even editing styles, moods. Um, And you feel a pressure to to do things a certain way, especially like on social media. You see amazing feeds that look super consistent. I I don't do that, but I mean, I find like you know, I look at Mantis Mood, his super moody shots. I love it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do something like that today. And I feel less pressure because I'm like, well, he's he's doing very well with his his really moody blues and. Why wouldn't I try it? Why don't, why don't I want to try and edit like that today? And then tomorrow, I want to do a black and white. Mm-hmm. And um, the day after could be a drone shot of blue skies. Um, I don't feel the pressure. And I think when you're surrounded by many talented people that do the different styles so well,
0: you don't feel the pressure to grow into different aspects of yourself. Right, and you know, as someone who's also part of um, a group similar to yours, um, and I'm the youngest in the group, um, so I've kind of taken on the role of or the idea of being a passenger and an observer, and realizing that I don't know everything. Um, that these guys have a lot of good insight, and they have a lot of life experience, which you can't teach. Um, and being part of that group, I've found that I've held myself to a higher standard. I want to, you know, be better. I want to take shots that that make people who I respect and admire go, "Wow, like this is awesome. I mean, at the end of the day, the shot's for me, but it's it's very inspiring to be part of a group that makes you want to be better, and you also this is so true in sports. I don't know how involved you were are, are or were in athletics. But for like myself, I always played better when I played with better players, people who were better than yeah. me. I always played better just because it brings you to that tier. And maybe there is a little bit of pressure to perform, but I don't mind that pressure. I enjoy it. And it just elevates your game. And quite the opposite. If I felt like I was playing with people who were not as good, I would play down to that level. Um, So I would, now, I go out of my way to try and find people to get build a relationship with that I that I feel like I can learn something from. You know, having Dave on the show was incredible. That guy is like a pool of knowledge and a pool of wisdom. Yeah. Um like somebody who could easily be a mentor, a mentor to someone, someone like, like myself. myself. Um so yeah, get hooked up with groups, um find people who you think you look up to who you know, know a lot more than you do, um, embrace the fact that you don't know everything, right. Um, and enjoy the learning process. It would kind of be my two cents on this whole topic.
1: Well, for me, like, I think they've inspired me to upgrade my gear (laughs) and start editing a little bit more on proper computers and whatnot.
0: (laughs) You are nailing all the segues for me today because we're going to let the, uh, we're going to open the door for the skeleton in the closet right now. If everyone's ready, we'll just build and build the suspense. It's Didn't a Jenny's better. dark dark secret about her photography. And <laughs> do you want me to say it or do you want me to state it or do you want do you want to present it? Oh, you can I think say it's it. going to be well received. I think it's going to be well received because your photos are so amazing. And it's perfect that that this skeleton exists. I know people are rolling their eyes. It's perfect that that this exists because it goes to show you that, you know, it's all in the, the eye. It's all in the photographer. Um, so the secret is that Jenny only edits on mobile. <laughs>
1: well, bah, everything that you bah, see, bah. yeah, everything that you see on on social media is pretty much edited on a phone so i love that yeah uh i'm on the road a lot so and i'm a really light packer my gear already weighs enough i'm 100 pounds soaking wet so i really can't afford to carry a laptop
0: as well or so i told myself i feel like you get this sense like you just like watching you feel like you have to defend this you know i do because cause, like every photographer edits- at <laughs> desktop because that's what you're supposed to do. But this whole this whole thing is about being different and your shots are crazy cool and if you don't need a laptop, screw it. If you can do it on your phone and achieve the look that you're going for, do it and I think you do that quite well. And it speaks more to the fact of have a good shot right out of the camera. Don't rely on the edit.
1: So the other thing is a lot of my
0: gear has never been
1: I I wouldn't say it's up to snuff compared to most of the photographers that I shoot with. So I'm not, I wasn't mirrorless until like a couple days ago. My ISO performance was just, they're really, really old secondhand cameras. So yeah, you do have to put in a little bit of work and you have to work around a lot of the situations where some people are able to shoot at like, you know, ISO 8000, 5000 and I'm like, If I shot at that, it'd just be so grainy. It's not happening. Um, So, yeah, like, I mean, in itself, having the ghetto gear, as I would say, has made me grow. (laughs) Um, And having to work around the limitations of just having my mobile with me has made me grow. Don't get me wrong, if you buy a print from me, it will be edited on a desktop <laughs> and done properly and exported and resized perfectly. But and... <laughs>
0: but um,
1: I do believe that to some degree there's some people that say, you know, they do such amazing work on in Lightroom and Photoshop and then they put it onto Instagram and it doesn't look the same. And a lot of it is you do actually have to go in. And see it on your phone and tweak it on Mm -hmm. your phone because edit it on the phone for viewing on the phone. That's how, that's truly what I believe. And even if I were to completely switch over and grow up, per se, doing more things on the computer um, at home or on a laptop, I would always export and then retouch up for sure on the phone. Um, There's an aspect to, how our screens are on our phone versus the screens on our computer and how people are like, you can, you know, dial down the the brightness and everything on your phone and be like, okay, well, does that look right? Like this is the, the lighting in my room versus my phone and then sh- sharpen it a little bit contrast. Um, all of those things kind of help tweaking. Versus if you're just editing it on an an amazing screen that's calibrated and then putting it on your phone for Instagram, it often does not, like it might fall flat a bit, I think.
0: So I can (laughs) speak to this for sure. Um, I run through four different photo apps usually before it makes it to a post. Yeah. Um, I'll work Lightroom desktop usually. Um, if there's something, if I want to achieve like a mystical look or a glow or something, I'll move it to Luminar four. Um, sometimes I skip Luminar. Uh, I just bought it. So, um, when I'm doing like a soft glow, I'll use that. Uh, if not, then I'll go straight to the phone with an, I've I've started airdropping. I know you're an Android user, so that means nothing to you. (laughs) But, um, I found that airdropping from my Mac to my iPhone, um, or using Dropbox doesn't lose quality. For the longest time, I was emailing myself photos and it doesn't hold up. So don't do that if you're doing that. Airdrop, if you have a Mac or a Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever. Um, or if your catalog is um, synced up to your phone, that's cool too. So, and then I would go to Snapseed, which is an app by Google. I don't know if you, you yeah. use it or you've heard of it. It's free, it's awesome. And I'll just do like minor corrections in there. Um, and then i'll move it to like if i want to put flares in or something i'll move it to lens distortions and then i'll post and then i'll do like minor tweaks in instagram like with the instagram editor yeah. so i'm running through like four or five different apps and i mean people are probably like my god that's like way too complicated and not always am i doing that but that's my typical workflow so my point being at least 50% of my my final touches are on the phone so you know i agree with you to a sense that and you know up and down the brightness full and low just to see if anything pops out you'll be surprised well not you but maybe somebody listening because you do this already if you rip your phone up to full brightness you'll see things that are just like weird um that maybe you want to get rid of or change yeah happens to me all the time and you can't you just really can't do that on a computer it doesn't it's not the same and if you're posting for somebody to view on the phone, it better look damn good on the phone, right?
1: Yeah. If it doesn't look good on your phone, it's not going to look good on someone else's phone. And it has to, I mean, that's the other thing. Like a lot of people talk about like the, the crop factors and the, you know, are you going to post a square? Are you going to post a five fourth or you're going to post a real landscape shot? And, you know, this is a free platform. And viewing on our phone right now is five fourths best or square. So you know that's what we're going to be shooting in, or that's what you're going to be posting in. When you choose to post a landscape, you're just kind of cutting yourself short, I think.
0: Like for your audience. Hmm? You think so?
1: Well, how I see it is like, like if you took um, any type of art class or anything, a lot of it is there's two viewers in any image or any port, um, any piece of art. There's like the artist and the viewer. Right. So their experience is just as as important as your integrity of your work because you're posting it for them to see. Um, so when you're looking at your medium, like canvas, metal, acrylic, that's like, Based on your gallery setting, based on where you're going to hang something, right? So you're putting something over a fireplace, maybe you choose canvas for a softer light. If you're putting something in a gallery with white walls, maybe something that is metal or acrylic is going to do better with that kind of lighting. But same goes for social media, right? You're looking at your canvas as a phone. You need to create your work to be best displayed on a phone. So when you're choosing, you're neglecting your viewers experience and you're neglecting your medium that you don't get to choose. Right. That's kind of how I feel when it comes to social media and people complaining about, you know, the, the aspects of the, uh, the size aspects of how people have to post is that this is your gallery and this is what you have to work with. So work with it.
0: So my take on this, um, I think portrait is best because like you said, the medium, you want to take up as much phone, like phone real estate, I call it as possible. Yeah. Um, if you're posting a portrait, you know, it's going t- to, and in, it's important for your viewer when they're scrolling, it's going to take up most of their phone. Um, so here's my, here's my dilemma. I think that there's a lot of shots well, this is just dead obvious that look better landscape orientated. I mean, shooting a mountain looks, just looks better when you get more of the range to a degree. Um, you can get a lot of cool portraits, obviously. Um, so when I post, I'll still post landscape oriented shots, but I get this weird feeling when I do it, it's kind of just like, I feel like it's taboo and there's this thing that kind of just—it's like this.
1: Don't do it. Know how to
0: describe it? Yeah, it's like a don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't. You have don't all this it. screen space. Why are you doing this? But then <laughs> the other part of my brain goes, "I don't give a shit. I love it." So I think a healthy balance of that is okay. I get what you're saying. Like, use as much screen space as you can, and I try to the most I can. But if you're and if you're consistently posting landscape-oriented, oriented shots, it's true. You're really just not utilizing your phone and the platform to the best of your ability well Um, the
1: other aspect is like when you're posting um the landscape shot it it doesn't do it justice my thing is when you're viewing on instagram it's different if the app would let you turn your phone and it shows just gonna say that
0: imagine you could turn instagram
1: exactly right so then wow wow, like your your landscape would pop you can actually see the details in your photo but when you're looking at a landscape shot on instagram it almost doesn't even matter how great the shot is now you have a huge mountain range and there is no detail because the shot is so tiny and Mm -hmm. like i think i've been faced with that before and i'm just like all right like It's easier with wildlife because there's still so much to look at. When it comes to those mountain ranges and taking a shot like that, I just don't even do it anymore. I don't post mountain ranges in landscape oriented. Yeah, I'm looking at
0: your photos in front of me and they're all portrait. And, you know, I would say 97%, that was a weird number, of my photos are portrait. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, the odd landscape I post it's just a way for me to feel sane and not feel like I'm being boxed in by an app. Like all of what you're saying is hundred percent true. I think for me though, the just the odd landscape is a way for me to still feel free and <laughs> not like restricted the same way people you were talking earlier, feel restricted about what they need to post. You're saying, you know, I'll post a landscape, I'll post a black bear and then I'll post Lafoten, which I'm looking at right now. And then I'll post a black and white. I think for me, anyways, it's just it's almost like uh I don't know, like a reliever, just like a okay, like I just so a lot of the pictures gods. that
1: you, you can see on my feed, there's a lot of them that are actually landscapes that have been cropped. So yeah, like my spirit bears, like when they when you see them in print, they're actually landscapes and they're massive landscapes shots. They're just cropped for social media. Yeah. Um, So in that sense, like I do edit for both, I guess. And I do have other outlets of allowing myself to see something in a landscape. Like if it's in a gallery or if it's on someone's wall, chances are it's going to be how it was shot. So I think social media has pushed me to shoot more portrait. I mean, very few people back in the day would shoot a landscape in a portrait mode. But... I'm finding it more interesting because when I shoot the landscape in a landscape mode, I don't focus as much on foreground I find because you don't have to, because there is so little foreground versus when you're shooting in that portrait mode. um, Yeah. Like leading lines are so important. Um, You know, distractions on the side are very important. Like your, your foreground having, rock structures or flowers or something in the in the foreground is so important
0: right well how does this relate to how does this relate to drone photography because we were saying before you were telling me that your drone photography and photos are the for the most part the best received online um
1: i haven't been doing droning for as long as some of my other friends but um my approach has never been to fly very high. So I still shoot a lot of typical landscape shots and not so many top downs, top downs all the time. Um, Drone photography is, it's fun. It's, but you have to do a little bit of research. Like to me, I'm not the type that goes up there and wanders. I don't like wandering around. I like to just sit there and be like, "All right, like that is what I want to shoot. I'm gonna go over there, get it, and come back
0: <laughs> um and doing your doing your research out of the field, google earth
1: yeah, both like something's some something's some, some things definitely a look on Google Earth. It's excellent for drone- any drone photographer usually uses google earth um three d and you can slide it around to see. The angles and everything. Um, but the other aspect is just standing. Like, usually if you're standing there and you're shooting something and you're like, all right, like what if I had a higher perspective? Like that is exactly what this composition needs. And I can achieve that with my camera right now. <laughs> kind of pop right. up the drone, and and that's all it was, right? Is popping it up like a few feet and getting that little bit higher perspective. Um I think when people get into drone photography, they try to go too high and then you're losing everything. You're losing depth. You're losing. So a lot of my photography isn't about flying a disturbing height because I find that mountains Mm. look smaller. They look shorter or flattened. You lose a lot of shape and depth um, unless you want to do a top down, then you fly high right so right. i don't know it's it takes a little bit of getting used to and looking at your screen um i didn't have the most confidence flying i learned in hawaii and then ended up going to the arctic like right away and having to shoot so no it way. has been a learning curve i haven't lost my drone and i haven't crashed it yet really
0: knock on wood let's do it so there it is all right well, You're you know what? into drones,
1: right?
0: So. I am thinking of getting into drones. I was just going to say. Um, and I have been doing so much research. So much. Like, I've been watching drone videos. I've been reading reviews. I've been watching YouTube videos. And this is just a big circle back to our first point when you were talking about your trips. It's like you need to research everything. Like, there's yeah. so much to be learned and learning from other people's experiences and other people's mistakes especially so that you don't make the same ones like there's learned by doing of course there's also learning by watching and observing and reading and i think i'm going to buy the air too i think oh. i'm going to buy the air too for fall in ontario um and um i think it's going to be a game changer for me i'm excited for myself
1: are you doing mostly um, video or, or stills
0: as well? I'm gonna do stills, but I think it's just inevitable. I I'm gonna get into video for sure. Yeah, um, it's it's just how how do you have a drone and not take video? You know, that's the only problem with the Air 2 is is the frame rate for video is a little whack because your aperture is locked. Um, because you're always supposed to shoot. Um, Double your shutter is supposed to be double yeah. your frame rate, right?
1: But you so, can use NDs for that as well. That's what you right. do.
0: And so you can use filters.
1: Almost everyone. So, like it doesn't even matter if you're getting like um like a higher end, everybody would use NDs to control their frame rates. Right. Uh so inevitable you will have to invest in a set of NDs.
0: That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um from your Polar Pro people maybe. You're also a Polar Pro ambassador. Mm-hmm. We've had we've had a previous Polar Pro ambassador on the show. So people know what that's about at this point. I They're think awesome. um I think you've spilled enough uh knowledge in other areas. People don't need to hear about neutral density filters at this <laughs> point in our conversation. Um but let's do a little wrap up some uh some key points to take away from this episode. It was actually You've mentioned Aaron Mantis' photography once on the show you were loving his moody blues on his yeah. feed, and people check him out. He runs a really cool Instagram live thing too that you were a part of um not too long ago it's funny I, uh, yeah the <laughs> last the last few of my edits have been uh have been inspired by him, and uh he listens to this so um imitation is the best form of flattery, my friend um but he was he was the one who suggested when I was asking for feedback about the show in it's early stages, he was suggesting, you know, you should really consider doing, um, wrap ups at the end of your episodes, just like maybe some key points for people listening to take away. Um, so we're going to do that right now. Um, in no particular order, number one, I think find an entourage, find a group squad up, um, a group that you can bounce ideas off of, um, a group that you're, you know, isn't afraid to give you feedback if it's necessary. A group that you can learn from, maybe don't be the best in the group. Um, Have people you look up to in it. It's also going to elevate you to another level. Um, Maybe put a little bit of friendly pressure on you to want to perform and up your game. Um, We talked about conservation. Um, We talked about the pebble mine. And people can find out information on that by clicking the link in your bio, right? Yeah, So it's in Jenny's bio and for people who, um, well, it's going to be in the title of the episode, but her Instagram is at J dub captures. That's at J U D J D U B C A P T U R E S spelling be champ right here. Again, that's at J U J D U B C A P T U R E S. It's like a tongue twister. Um, and what was our last point? Our last point was about mobile editing, I want to say. Let's say that's our third takeaway from today is that if it works for you, cool. Like, who cares? If the end result gets you where you need to be, go for it. And at the end of the day, you're most likely posting on a phone. So if it, it needs to look good on the phone. So maybe if you are editing desktop, maybe do a little hybrid. Um, include some mobile apps in your in your final touches. Um bring the screen brightness up and down just see everything looks good and everything checks out don't rush it put a lot of um preparation and and heart into it so what do you think about that wrap-up you have anything to add
1: no that sounds great like that is me in a nutshell i guess (laughs) for now
0: perfect well as the third canadian i wish i could play the the anthem i know aaron does that on his show but uh (laughs) We got to stick out for each other. So I'll mention you're the third Canadian on the show. Um, Thank you again for coming on. I'm sure everyone uh, is going to learn a lot from this one and find a lot of relatable points, but uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for coming on again. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of the photographer mindset podcast. I'm getting more and more sight with each episode. This thing's really taken off. I'm so happy that it's providing so many people with value that they can utilize out in the field when they're shooting. It's improving their mindsets. I'm just truly grateful for all of you. Uh, Until next time, go get shooting, go get editing, and stay focused.